<laughs> it's like I lost my voice for a moment. So everybody's doing good. God bless you. Welcome. Um, we are just doing a one-off tonight because I was thinking in my mind, do I start a series and then we have a break for our AGM or, you know, it always interrupts, eh? When you have just a break somewhere. And so I thought, no, you know what? We'll just do a one-off. We'll just do one topical tonight. And I mentioned that, I think, last week. I can't remember, but it seems to me in my short-term memory, I've said something of the fact. And uh, so tonight we are going to be in Judges chapter 3. But I titled tonight's Bible study, When Your Weakness Makes Boast of God. When Your Weakness Makes Boast of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says, But God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Do you ever feel like you're weak? Like you're just not equipped to do something that you just don't have everything within you to fulfill what you need to fulfill. And um, I love the fact that God takes those weakened areas of us and makes them into something. He takes those weakened areas and uses it for his glory. Because you know what? When, when we're weak in an area, we can't take any account for ourselves. We can't say, well, you know. You know, if I picked up something and, and I know that I could pick up certain things because um, I know what body weight I could handle, then I could boast of my own strength. But if all of a sudden I had to do something that was out of my ability and I did it, I would say, you know, you're right. I don't know how I did that. One time we were moving a piano, a grand piano like this um, in, 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 in our former church. And so we had to move it just to a little spot. Didn't seem far. So anyways, I got my end and I just lifted it up. Now, at the time, I was a little more physically fit, and I had been doing things that required me to be able to lift things. So I just lift up my corner, and it wasn't hard, that corner. And um, so the other two people that I was lifting with just stopped and said, what did you just do? I said, we said we were going to lift, and so I lifted. And anyway, so the, the joke was that they were, we were expecting that it would be very difficult. And the only reason why it seemed something that I could do was because I was in better physical shape, able to lift heavier things. And, and um, so anyways, when we're in our place of weakness, we can go, I don't know how I just lifted that, but I think somebody helped me. In this situation, it was only of my own uh, personal strength at that time, at that time. So tonight we're, we're, we're going to do this one-off, um, and we're looking at the children of Israel. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had saw that um, the Lord had delivered them from the powers of the king, and, and all of his associates and all of his comrades had gone into the waters. And so this Pharaoh that had driven them and had been hard-pressed upon them, they, he was now dead, and the Egyptian men with him were also dead. Their slavery was officially over. Or was it? Or was it? Right? The Israelites, they had settled into the new promised land. Fast forward, they conquered the land. Uh, but they didn't drive out all the people that were in that promised land. They didn't overtake all of them. And so because of that, there were those that lived there that lived within their own uh, enjoyments. They had their own gods. And so they, with their own gods, they had their own idols. And so 
some of the Israelites looked upon these people and, and they were magnetized to them. They were drawn to them. And as a result, they also became drawn to their gods because they had not uh, overtaken them. And so what happened? God warned them. In Judges chapter 2 verse 2, it says, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So God calls them out on it. You have not taken over this land as you were as you were supposed to and now you've made covenant with these people what have you done you have not obeyed my voice and one of the trending comments if you were to read the book of judges was that it references that everybody did what was right in their own eyes well, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Judges 17 verse 6 says, And in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Judges 18 verses 1 and 2. In those days Israel had no king. And in those days the tribe of Dan was seeking a place of their own. Judges 19 and 1. In those days Israel had no king. Again, Judges 21 and 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. How does Paul express that? If you read Romans chapter 1, it says in 21 to 30, For although they knew God, we can agree tonight that the children of Israel knew God. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the Immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. This is God's reaction to unrighteousness. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And we can go on and read. God gave them over to a debased mind. The children of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. They were not God honoring. They were not God fearing. And, and God in judges sent forth judges. He establishes that there would be leaders and these leaders were called judges. And these judges would lead the people out of their uh, trouble. These judges would repetitively save God's people from the grip of sin. He, they would repetitively save them from foreign idols. And they would bring the children of Israel back to God. But there was a cycle. If, again, if you read throughout the whole book, there's a cycle. They get rescued by a judge. They they go into a place of serving God and, and, and standing with him. And then that judge dies and they fall back into their own ways. Get rescued by another judge. Follow God. Honor God. That judge dies. They fall back into their own ways. They live this cyclic life. When was the last time God's word showed you something within your life and you had to take an immediate action? All of a sudden, you're reading the word of God, you're hearing a sermon, you're doing your devotions, and, all, and the word of God shows you something about your life and you need to take immediate action. And the immediate action is painful action. How many times has that happened to you? 
If you didn't take this immediate action, the consequences would cost you dearly. Has that ever happened? When was the last time you asked God to to use your uniqueness? I'm asking these questions because we're going to address these things tonight. You you ask God to use your uniqueness, use your weakness, use your disability in order that he would be glorified in your life. When was the last time you chose to obey God in a specific area of your life and actually followed through on that choice? You didn't just make the decision on a Sunday morning whim because you heard a servant that spoke to your heart and made you realize, I need to obey God. But you walked out of church, you walked through the doors of the church, you got into your vehicle, into the city bus, and you went home and you followed through on that choice of obedience. How many times has that happened with you? When was the last time that your life was a living example of walking in obedience? That wasn't the guilt question. That was just a self-evaluation. Because I almost felt as though everything went gung. A self-evaluation, when was the last time your life was an example of obedience towards God? So reflecting on those, let's just stop for a moment and we're going to pray and commit the rest of this study to the Lord. So Father God, as we just go into this study and we look at this one specific judge, Spirit of the living God, would you just illuminate your word to us? Lord, you know every individual that is tuned in online, whether it be through YouTube or Facebook. You know those that have gathered in-house tonight. And God, I don't come as anyone's judge. I just come with the word that you have dropped in my heart. But I pray, mighty Jesus... That through your Holy Spirit, you would speak loud and clear to us what it is that you want to minister into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we're living in a society today that everybody just does what they please. Everybody just goes around living their life how they please. Well, it's my life. I get to live it how I want to live. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. As a matter of fact, uh, if you are a young adult and you, and you turn such a certain age, and I don't even know when that age happens to be, but they reach a certain age and nobody is going to tell them what to do. They could lead their lives perfectly well. We attend church. In, in our regular attendance of the church, uh, we, we submit to God, but we haven't submitted to God outside of the church building. We just go about our living from day to day, Monday through Saturday. Sunday morning, we get in church. The worship hat is on. The worship heart is in. Check, click, click. Everything is in tune. And once we leave the church, we go back to doing everything Everything that seems right in our own eyes, whatever works for our lives at, at that time, whatever feels right. And Joshua led a nation of people into the promised land. And they defeated 31 kings while they were in this promised land. But in Judges, they didn't live in the same lifestyle. They didn't live with the same success rate. In fact, they suffered great failure. They didn't drive out their enemies from the land, as I said. And so tonight, we're finding ourselves in Judges chapter 3. And Israel had to conquer many, many enemies. But one of the difficulties that they couldn't conquer, while they might have had um, strength to conquer military, they didn't have the strength to conquer spiritual forces that were attacking them. And they fell prey right into this. They were effective in the political challenges, but they weren't effective in the spiritual challenges. And so the unholy 
lifestyles of the Canaanites became something that kept swallowing them up. In chapter 3, I, his name is Othaneo, I believe that's how you would pronounce it. And he was their first judge that volunteered that he would lead them through an attack, through uh, the fortified city, and they succeeded. And then as a result of succeeding, they had eight years of peace in their lives. But then, oh, er, excuse me, um, 40 years. Othineo passes away and no, so, no sooner he dies, they fell back into the same habits that they were once before living. And with, this is where we will pick up verse 12 of chapter 3. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites, and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up from them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Girah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab, and Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes, and he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man, and when, the, and when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute, but he he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence and all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ahub came to him as he was sitting alone in, in his cool roof chamber. And Ahub said, I have a message from God for you. We're going to stop right there. What had happened? The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 12. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Who are these Moabites? They were the sons of Lot. Right? So the Moabites and the Ammonites, they were the sons of law. The first thing we want to look at tonight is that sin will always bring you into bondage. I don't care what the sin is. It will bring you into bondage. Some of us say to ourselves, oh, well, I don't have that kind of sin and I don't have that kind of sin. And so we don't see ourselves in bondage, but every sin will hold you captive. Captive. Luke 11 says it like this, verses 24 to 26. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds a house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. Matthew says this. In verse uh, chapter 12, verse 45. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Every time you go back to your sin. Every time you are found within the bond, within sin, you are being held captive. And so when we come to church on a Sunday and we make that choice to walk in that obedient place and we make that choice that we are going to commit ourselves to serving the Lord and we cleanse ourselves, we make ourselves clean and we walk out of that service and we walk right back into our old sin lifestyle. What we have done is we have just opened up the door for that to have control and authority over our lives. 
And we think, but it's only this, but it's only that. We have become so accustomed to doing as we want, when we want, how we want, that we don't even realize how we have opened the door and welcomed the enemy into our life, having control, having authority, having dominion and rulership over us. And then we wonder why things continue to go habitually left, if you want to say. And we're stuck. When, we, when there is sin, it will always bring bondage. And so the Lord acts to express his anger towards Israel because he sees that they are doing what they want. Look, when Athenel was here, he brought you out. He, he brought you through this fortified cities and you overtook it. And then you were on, on, the, on the page. You were worshiping me. You were serving me. What has happened to you, O Israel? What has happened to you? Now just because Othanol is gone, you're going to go back to your old ways? You know, the saying goes, when the cat's away, the mice play. Come on, Israel. And so he sends what? He sends Eglon and he puts Israel into the hands of Eglon. And what happens? They become slaves yet once again. What have you been opening the door to? What is enslaving you? What is enslaving your mind, holding your mind in bondage? Verse 15 says, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up from them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Okay, when you first hear that name, Ehu, you might say, Ehu? Because, you know, not for anything. Like, it's not a common name. It's not like Melody, Lydia, you know, A-A-Who. Who's A-Who? Well, let's consider some of his stats. We know that he's the son of Gera, and he's been born into the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was the smallest of the tribes. And yet, out of this small tribe, God raises up five of the deliverers, in the book of Judges, one of them being Ehu that we see tonight, Saul, Mordecai, Esther, and the Apostle Paul, later on in, in, um, in the New Testament. He was also a judge. We learned that God appoints him as a judge, so Ehu is a judge. He's a messenger because it, we will see in a moment, and we've read uh, part of the chapter, that he is bringing a message to Eglon. He is left-handed. That means he's very special. That means he's the only one in his right mind. You could just laugh. It's okay to laugh because, you know, if you're right-handed, you use the left side of your brain. And if you're left-handed, you're the only one that's right. And so he was a skilled sculptor because we see that he takes and makes himself a, a sword, a double-edged sword. And he's a courageous military strategist. God has called him to be a judge, but he is going to lead the people into something. And so when you look at him, he's not just this a-who. But he's like, wow, this guy's he, he comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Do you know him? He, he's a sculptor. He's able to make weapons out, out of stones. This man's he's a, he's a strategist. He knows how to properly prepare for war, properly prepare for, for battle. He can calculate before action needs to be taken. He is able to carefully calculate his steps and what will be his plans. Oh, when we look at Ehu that way, we don't say, but who is this guy? We want to understand more about him. And it leads leads us to our next point. Your weakest point in your life, your weakest area can be God's platform. The weakest area in your life can be God's platform. Ehu was 
left-handed. There's something very important to understand about the tribe of Benjamin. According to Judges chapter 20, verse 16, it says that among them in the tribe of Benjamin, there was 700 of them that were left-handed and everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss it. Now I'm telling you, at a hair, a hair. If I were to hold one strand of my hair, these left-handed military men were able to sling a stone sling a stone at a hair and not miss that hair. These guys had precision. They had, they, they had clarity. They were able to exactly zone in and take action. These were the kind of men that were in the tribe of Benjamin. However, although they were specialized troops, although they were able to use a sling and a bow, and although they had a special uh, expertise in taking over right-handed people, one thing that we know is that Ahu is a different situation. The scripture points out that he is left-handed, but in the literal translation of that scripture, it indicates that he was left-handed as though there was a hindrance in his right hand. So it wasn't just that he was left-handed because that was the dominance. He was left-handed because there was a hindrance in his right hand. Perhaps there was a palsy. Perhaps there was some sort of weakness. And so God chooses this left-handed man to be the son of the right hand. Despite his weaknesses, he comes to represent the tribe, son, the tribe of Benjamin, son of the right hand. The enemies we face in our life are challenges. They're real. We are going to face enemies. And in our weaknesses, God could either have platform to show that he is God in our lives, or we will succumb to our weakness. Ahu has a weakness. What is his weakness? His weakness is his right side. And so Ahu is strong in his left side. God calls him and he appoints to him and he says to him, Ahu, I am commissioning you to now be judge over Israel. Ahu doesn't say, but God, like, did you, did you stop and consider this? I have a left, a right side that is weak. You know, my, my right side, God, does not work. Ahu does not do that. Ahu immediately takes action. Remember, I asked you, when you take the word of God and you are reading it, and you all of a sudden receive something from the word of God into your life that you know you need to take action. Do you take action? Ahu, as far as the scriptures indicate, does not challenge God on his appointment to be judge. He does not say, but God, you know, there's 699 other men in this tribe that are left-handed. If you're looking for a left-handed dude, God, you can inquire any one of them to be your judge. Like, you know, I'm just not the one for the job. He does nothing of the such. Immediately what we see happen is that he goes, verse 15, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ahu, son of Gerah, left-handed man, tribe of Benjamin. Immediately he doesn't let his, his weakness excuse him, but rather, verse 16, he made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. Immediately, he's appointed and he goes to work. He's a sculptor. Now, the scripture doesn't give this account, but can we go there in our thoughts? 
Okay, God, you've called me to this position. And as he's sculpting that stone to be that just perfect sword that is sharp on both sides. And as he's sculpting it and smoothing it and working it, he's working within his mind. Okay, God, what is your plan? What is your action? God, where would you have me? How would you have me? Lord, what would you have me to say? Lord, I hear you leading. Lord, I hear you guiding. And I want to ask you, when God calls you to a task... The first action for you would be to immediately take action and prepare yourself with the word of God. Prepare yourself with the word of God. You have a decision to make? You have a decision to make concerning your future, concerning your employment, concerning where you're to live, concerning what you're to do? Then you have to sharpen yourself with the word of God. You have to go to the word of God and let the word of God lead you. Ahu made himself an 18-inch two-edged sword. He made himself an 18-inch two-edged sword. What's happening in our, in our text right now? Ahu has a strategic plan in place. He goes before King Eglon and he presented to him a tribute that they had given him, right? Because in verse, um, then the people of Israel, verse, uh, the latter part of verse 15, the people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. So he goes to the king with this tribute and as he is there with the tribute, with, with what was given to him to be presented, he sends those that came with him out. He sends everyone out. And he says to the king, King, I have a message for you. Now imagine somebody comes to you tonight and it's happened to me. I have a word of God for you. You know, you just kind of like, whoa. It, it, it makes you take check. And, and Ahu, in, after he says, King, I have a message for you, he commands silence. And at that command of silence, the rest of the attendants leave. And now it is just Ahu and the king that are there. Everyone else has gone. He's taken time. He prepared his sword. He was ready for action. He, I am sure while he was preparing that sword, he was meditating. While he was preparing that sword, I am certain that he was talking with God. And he was thinking things through. Can we learn something here from Ahu? Exodus 33. Moses was commanded of the Lord to do something. And we could take Moses' example. We could take Ahu's example. The Lord said to Moses in Exodus 33, 1-3, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. They still are. They still are, God. They're in judges, and they're still a stiff-necked people. But what did Moses respond to God? Verses 12 to 18, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, Please now show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people 
And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I in your people? Is it not that you're going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people in the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses was given a directive from God. Go, take these people and go. And Moses is saying, wait up, God. Unless you're going to go with me, I'm not moving there. Unless you're going to go with me, I'm not packing my family up. I'm not getting in the U-Haul. And we ain't going nowhere unless I know that you are with me. God, show me. You see, when we are given an action, when we are given responsibility. Ehu was given responsibility. He took to action. What did he do? He created, he sculpted himself a sword. And during that time, I know scripture does not say it, and I'm not by any measure trying to add to it, but I know that if God appointed him, God knew his heart and he took to action. God, if you're going to lead me up to Eglon, if you're going to lead me to give this man a word, then God, I'm believing that you're going to deposit within me exactly what I'm to do when I get there and I stand before that very large and in charge man. God, I'm believing you. And Moses said, Lord, if you're saying for us to go, then show me. And what does the Lord do? Lord goes with him. He says, you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. When we take the word of God and we incorporate the word of God into our plans, what will we see? We will see action take place. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what? He will direct your path. You need to know what kind of action to take concerning a job. You need to know what kind of action to take concerning a course, concerning a move. Then where do you go? You go but to the word of God. And what does his word say? His word promises that he will lead you. Why? Because because Isaiah 30 verse 21 says, and I will lead you in the way that you should go. Your ears will hear a word from behind. This is the way walk in it, whether it's to the left or to the right. So if we take God's word for action and we take it as to our leading, then the promises are true that he will lead us and guide us. This is the way walk in it. When you turn to the right, this is the way walk in it. When you turn to the left, this is the way walk in it. Ehu had a plan in his mind. And he sought the counsel of God. Undoubtedly, he sought the counsel of God. And he goes before the king in verse 20. And he says, I have a message from God for you. And so Eglon stands up. Imagine this. Eglon stands up. He's a very large man. Verse 17 says he's a very fat man. Now listen, I did not say that. God's word said that he was a very fat man. And if God's word says it, God's not a liar. This man was a very large man. And so he stands up. And Ehu reaches for his sword, verse 21 says, and it was strategically placed on his right thigh. Okay, now, first of all, in going into the king's palace, how did he get past the security? That no one took notice that he had weapon upon him. No one, no, he's going to go before the king. Surely they're going, the, the attendants are going to protect the king. And how is it that Eglon's able to get past 
being found that he has a weapon on him because he has strategically placed it on the inner thigh. He didn't place it here. He didn't place it here. He had strategically placed it on the inner thigh. So when he needed it, he was able to grab it indiscreetly. And as Eglon stands up, Ehu pierces him right in with that sword. And the word says that the the sword went into his belly. And you know what? The belly came like a, like a, what would you call it? Like a vacuum. It just suctioned up the sword. And Ehu thrusts his sword into Eglon's belly. And the sword went into his belly. The fat in his belly closes over, the scripture says. Because Ehu didn't pull the blade back out. And as a result, dung comes out. Verse 22. And as the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. My third point. When we entrust ourselves to the sword of the Spirit, the dung of our lives will be removed. I'm getting to a point about this sword. When we trust ourselves to the sword of the spirit, when we trust ourselves to the word of God, the dung that is in our lives will be removed. What we don't know is how did this dung come out? Did Ahu perforate his bowel when he stuck the sword in? Well, that seems like it could be a likely answer. Makes sense. It says that it went into his belly. What's in your belly? Well, in your belly is your intestines. So it seems likely that it's possible. But is it possible? Well, all we know is that then Ahu went, okay, uh, went uh, into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Why? Because... King Eglon had fallen to his death. When he had gone, the servants came and they saw that the doors of the roof chamber, verse 24, were locked. And they thought, surely he's just relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened. And there laid their Lord dead on the floor. So, What seems to be the likely and maybe the more biologically correct answer is that when Ahu put the sword into Eglon, immediately Eglon died because as the body dies, it then will release itself in various forms of gases. It it will void and, and so it could also Relieve itself in the sense of these, um, the bowel movement. The dung came out, okay? And so here we see that it's possible that immediately then that Eglon had died. Go to Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and acting sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What happened between Eglon and Ehu? What happened between Eglon and Ehu? Why would the Lord bring us to a portion of scripture to let us know that when Ehu put his sword into the belly of Eglon, that Eglon's dung came out. What is the purpose? Why did the scripture let us know that as soon as Ehu was commissioned to become judge and to bring the children of Israel in through this area to overtake Eglon. Why does it tell us that he was sharpening the the sword? So that we can understand this. Eglon came with a word of Ehu came to Eglon with a word from the Lord. It come, this word that he gave to Eglon 
came as a double-edged sword. It was not spoken into Eglon's ear so that Eglon heard the message from God. It was spoken into his innermost being. It was, it went pierced right through him. It brought to the surface every dung, every area of wrong that was in Eglon's life. What we need to understand is when we take the word of God, for the word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And when we apply this word to our lives, if there is anything that is within our lives, lives that needs to come out, we can be sure that the word of God will drive out any dung that is within us. Anything that is causing the old man to have authority over our lives. Anything that is causing sin to have dominion within us. And so Eglon was pierced with this sword. Rather than this, so, rather than him hearing what God had to say, do you notice that the scripture doesn't say this? And now, Eglon, hear this, the word of the Lord. The Lord would have you to know, Eglon, that you have dealt unjustly with his people. He does not, the word of God does not say that. The word of God just says that Ehu took his double-edged sword and pierce the belly of this very fat, large king. He delivered a message right to the heart of the man. Right to the heart of the man. Why? Because Eglon was a selfish man. He was not a God-honoring man, nor was he God-fearing. And so God went to the heart of the matter. Why? Because sometimes, sometimes we don't need to hear it in our ears what's wrong in our lives. We need to hear it in our innermost man. Because when we hear it in the innermost man, then we are able to say, God, take this part of me. Search me, O oh God. Search me and know me. Is that not what the scripture says of 139? It's not in my it's 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 not in my notes, but it's okay. She'll call it up there. Psalm 139. And and, and he says, Search or search me, O oh God. Verse 23, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's the word that God brings to Eglon. It goes right to the heart of the matter, exposing what is inside of our lives so that the true nature of who we are can be seen. So that we can see ourselves for what he needs to change. Oh God, change that area too. Oh God, I submit that area too. Because God forbid that we should come to church and hear a word of God on a Sunday morning, hear another sermon that can tickle our hearts and tinkle our ears and cause us to go home all rejoicing and all happy and never changed. All rejoicing and all happy and never transformed. And no one sees where our lives walked in obedience. No one sees the outward expression of God living boldly within us. Ehud didn't come to murder Eglon. No, that's what it might seem. It doesn't seem right that in the word of God, a judge goes and kills another man. It doesn't seem like that, that seems plausible when the word of God says that we shall not commit murder. No, he didn't come to murder another man. He came to deliver the judgment of God. He came to execute justice. He came to walk in the appointment that he was called to judge. He was appointed by God to be judge. He had a weakness and yet he did not let that weakness hold him back. Instead, he embraced the call. Why did God call Ehud? 
because he knew the heart of Ehu. And he knew that Ehu would immediately walk in obedience. He knew that Ehu would immediately prepare his sword. He knew that Ehu would be a man that would go before him and follow his action plan. And so God calls him. Notice when, when we read about Eglon being pierced. Notice that there's not one cry, there is not one screech, there is not one holler. When his attendants come back, they think that because the door is closed, that he is just relieving himself. So it's not like they came rushing back because they heard a screech or a holler. God took care of the situation. And what happens after um, Ehu leaves the situation? It says in verse 25, And they waited till they were embarrassed, but when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. During this time, during this time, once again, Ehu had a strategic plan. He had his whole battle plan orchestrated. So my fourth point is this. God's delays are God's setup for your next victory. God's delays are God's setup for your next victories. Why? Because 26 says this to me. Ehu escaped while they delayed and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. So he already had a strategic plan. I will kill Eglon like this just as the Lord is directing me to do and I will quickly exit. I will lock the doors and while I lock the door I will make my passageway. He escapes. He passes all of the idols and when he arrives back to the people he sounds the trumpet it says this in verse 27 when he arrived he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country and he was their leader Verse 28, and he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And so they went down after him and seized the fords of Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. Verse 30, so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. That day Moab was subdued by Israel and they experienced rest for 80 years. Why? Because they were obedient to Ehu. Ehu in verse 28 said, follow after me. Why did they experience rest for 80 years? Because they addressed their enemies. So they went. And in verse 28b, it said that they did not allow anyone to pass over. Well, how did they come to experience their 80 years of peace? Because they were not intimidated by them. It says in verse 29, they were able to subdue or to kill these men who were strong, abled body men. They weren't able, they didn't go up to them and go, oh my goodness, this guy's too buffed for me. You take him. They've seen these able-bodied men they seen these strong men and they still pursued them and so in their obedience to Ehu in their obedience and following and taking charge over their enemies they got to experience their 80 years of peace but what happened before that was key 
the trumpet was blown. When the trumpet was blown, it declared a victory. Whenever the trumpet was blown, these children of Israel knew when they walked around the walls of Jericho on the seventh time and the trumpet was blown that they had over, the walls had come down and they had been able to overtake the city. So it meant victory. When the trumpet was blown, victory was theirs. That blow of the shofar was a clarion prophetic word. Victory is ours. Victory is ours. As Ehud declared victory, he blew the shofar. It went out prophetically and they went out and they were able to possess the Moabites. Ehud was a judge that God knew he could trust. Ehud was a judge that God knew would lead his people. Why? Because Ehud was fully submitted to God. He didn't make his, his weakness his excuse. He didn't make his surroundings his excuse. And he didn't blame the poor lifestyle of the Canaanites. Ehud simply obeyed. And when we obey, our weaknesses becomes the boast of God. We see this in Ehu. He says this, the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. He didn't come back down after killing Eglon and say, I did it. I've done it. Guys, let it be known today in your sight. I killed Eglon. He didn't. He said, guys, follow me. Come on. Let's go. Today, the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. Even though he could have looked at them and said, we have 700 strong left-handed men. He did not allow the fact that he one over Eglon he gave all of the glory to God why because our weakness will make boast of God and so that the victory will always return to the Lord because victory belongs to the Lord what do we learn through Ehu what do we learn through Ehu when you're searching for what you should do you seek God. What do we learn through Ehu? When you are been given an appointment, when you've been assigned to something, get yourself ready. Get the action going. Get the word of God implanted into you so that you could take action. What do we see through the life of Ehu? That God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And he chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Because Ehu was weak on the right. But he was strong on the left. And so God wants us to see. You know what? At the end, in your weakness, I will be made strong. God's delays are God's set up for your next victory. God's delays are God's set up. We can entrust ourselves to the word of God that it will take every area of dung, every area of dirt out of our lives. And we can know that he is taking action within us, right? We can know that our weakest area in our life is God's strongest platform. And we could know that sin will keep us in bondage. But if we go to God, we can have victory from that bondage. Amen? Amen. Amen. So a simple, a simple life, Ehu, a simple life of a man who just sculpted his own sword. Are you ready to take the word of God and let it be your sword that you sculpt into your life every day? It's just a simple message, just a simple Bible study that you could take the word of God and let it sculpt you, shape you, mold you, and let it clean you, and let it make the boast of your God in you so that when others see you, they see a reflection of God through you. Oh, that's how she is in church, but you don't work with her. Oh, that's how he is but I've seen him in public. No, let God be transparent through your life. 
and let God in your weakness be boasted of through your life. Father God, we thank you for a simple life of Ehu, how you used this judge to, to, Lord, overtake the king that was holding them in slavery, that was holding them in bondage, O oh God. And Lord, through their obedience, they experienced those years, 80 years of reprieve. God, I pray that tonight that you would just cause us to meditate on this word as we go home, as we go our separate ways, as we shut down our computers tonight. Lord, I pray that it would meditate and, and reverberate within our mind that, Lord, Holy Spirit, if there is an area within our lives that you need to speak to us about... An area that your sword needs to pierce through. An area of dung that is causing our reputation of you to be smeared. I pray, Holy Spirit, enlighten our eyes to see that area that we could fully surrender it to you. That you would have full dominion in our lives. Search us, O oh God. Search us, O oh God. See if there be any wicked way within us. And be exalted. Be exalted in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And so for those that have joined us online and Facebook and on YouTube, thank you for joining us tonight. We'll be back. Next week is our AGM. Stay tuned for the announcements that... Uh, are going to be made on Sunday concerning that meeting. But the week following, May 11th, we will continue in a brand new series. So stay tuned to what subject we will, uh, we will uh, be tackling. But I promise you, it's God's word. So it will always be good because it's God's word. So tonight, before you log off, reflect within your heart. God, what were you saying to me tonight? through your word. God bless you. God be with you. We look forward to seeing you here Sunday morning, 10 a.m. And Pastor Dino will be online tomorrow morning with your morning devotions. Bye for now.